Hello and welcome to the Eat, Train, Recover podcast. I'm your host, fitness professional Justin Jefferson. This podcast covers all things fitness, nutrition, and wellness and is dedicated to helping everyday individuals live the fittest and healthiest life possible. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Eat, Train, Recover show. I am your host, Justin Jefferson, and I am joined uh, by a very, very special guest today. I'm very excited about this. Uh, we actually connected a few weeks ago um, on the social media platform Clubhouse, uh, which has been amazing. Um, her name is Sarah Mo. She is a sleep doctor, a sleep expert. Um, and every time she talks, I'm completely blown away. Uh, and I'm constantly learning something new um, about sleep that I didn't know before. So um, guys, I just wanted to introduce to you Sarah Mo. Sarah, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Like this means a lot. Um, I've been super excited about this episode since we first spoke about it. Um, you're, you're just such a wealth of knowledge. So I'm just, I'm grateful uh, that you were able to join me today. Um, so before we even jump into all things sleep and things like that, uh, where did you go to school and, and how did you get into what you do now? Yeah, so I actually grew up wanting to be a nurse, <laughs> but it turns out Sarah does not do well with blood. So I kind of looked at other medical fields where I could help people and found uh, the sleep medicine program in my town. And at the time, it was the first year that it was even being offered. And I just took one class and absolutely fell in love. Sleep medicine was always what I was meant to do. Uh, and I think it is something that has just become even cooler in the last 15 years since I started. So I have my degree in poly somnography, which is sleep studies. I uh, started my career uh, hypocritically working overnights to diagnose sleep disorders and treat patients. After that, I became an adjunct professor at Minneapolis College where I taught the sleep medicine program. And now I have my company where I talk about sleep to whoever will listen. <laughs> hey, uh, well, I'm definitely a listener because I mean, when we, we look at sleep, like I'm, it's, it's really not something that, that gets discussed a lot. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's so detrimental to our well-being. And it's not really our fault. We just never understood the importance of sleep until recently. And by recently, I mean the last, you know, 40, 50 years. Sleep was always associated with psychology, like something that was happening maybe in your brain or, or, or maybe no, no activity in our brains. You know, we had no idea until we started to realize the importance of how uh, bad sleep was impacting our daytime health. Uh, and then it became just something that we've really spent a lot of time on, which is awesome because it is considered the third pillar of health, diet, exercise, sleep. These are the three pillars of health. And there's so much focus on the diet and exercise. So I'm so glad that sleep is finally getting its day in the sun. Yeah, it's, and you're right. It, you know, when we think about wellness, we think about health and, and fitness and, and, you know, all of those things, it's usually, you know, you know exercise, it's nutrition, Right. Um, well, it's even pushed on us as kids, you know, when you're in elementary school, you get a gym class, Fayette, you know, you run around and play dodgeball, you get nutrition information, you learn about the food pyramid. Those two are so focused on from a young age that as we grow uh, and sleep becomes an even more important part of our lives, it's just something that was neglected for so long. So it's up to you now as an adult to figure out that it's important and how to integrate that into your whole cycle of well-being. Yep, and, and I think too, and you stated that perfectly because growing up, physical education, you heard, of, you obviously, we, we knew about the importance of being active, you know, 
attending gym class and things like that. Um, and we did learn a little bit about nutrition growing up, not a lot, but sleep, like we were just told to, you know, go to sleep so you can feel good the next day. It wasn't really like anything beyond that, right? Anything further than that. It was, it's bedtime. You go to bed because your parents tell you to go to bed, you know, whether it's school the next day or, you know, whatever's going on. So, you know, we didn't realize the importance of, of, of sleep and what's actually taking place, you know, during that time. Um, so in the simplest terms, like how do you, obviously we all know what sleep is. Um, so instead of asking you to define sleep, I kind of want to get into sleep at, at the most basic levels, right? Like from, from start to finish. Yeah. And it's funny you even see it that way because we can't define sleep. Right now, the definition of sleep is like four parts long. Uh, the word sleep appears in the definition of sleep a couple of times. It's awful. We, we can't even <laughs> really say exactly what it is. And we still, from uh, just the, the history aspect, we can't even say why we need to do it yet. We still don't know. There's so much we don't know about sleep. Um, and when we think about all of the different theories, I've kind of come to the conclusion that it is a bunch of them put together. Uh, there's no one reason that we do it, uh, but we know we need to because you can go six days without REM before you die and you can go longer without food before you die. So this has to happen. Uh, we know that uh, human beings are the only mammals who uh, intentionally or will actively prolong sleep much to our detriment. Uh, you know, we know that when we used to think there was no neurological activity, it, every single stage of sleep has incredible activity that is required for well-being. So there are a lot of things that we know and we know we need to do it. We just don't really know how to define it yet. And that's fine. I mean, you know, like you said, we all know what it is and we know that we have to do it. But at the very most basic level, uh, it is just what is required of us to uh, allow our bodies to function during the day. So. Yeah. It is something that is vital to our cellular restructures. Uh, we need to heal every night in order to be able to function during the day. Uh, so I, that whole stigma of having that badge of honor for being fatigued or being sleep deprived, that needs to go away. Uh, if, I, if I hear people say, I, I'll sleep when I'm dead, it's like, all right, well, you'll get there pretty quick with that attitude. <laughs> right. So, right. Just to, to answer your question, at the very most basic level, sleep is something that is required of us to be able to function during the day, uh, but it's also really cool. It shouldn't just be like this thing that we have to do. Knowing what is happening in our different stages of sleep is really fascinating. We have four different stages of sleep and each one does something different uh, to allow ma major functionality. So stage one, when we fall asleep, we fall asleep into stage one. Stage one is considered the transitional stage of sleep. This is kind of what prepares our bodies to go into deeper stages. Then we have stage two where we spend about half of our night. Uh, this is a great stage of sleep. This is how we create memories. This is how we're able to learn and retain information. We have stage three which is also known as slow wave or delta sleep. This is a stage that makes us feel rested. And then we have REM, which most people know is when we have our dreams. Uh, but what you might not know is that it stands for rapid eye movements. And in REM sleep, also we're paralyzed. Our whole muscular structure, everything but our brain, lungs, heart, diaphragm, everything that keeps us going is fine, but your muscles are actually paralyzed. So you can't act out your dreams and harm yourself or your bed partner. So if you've ever woken up, and felt like you couldn't move, that's called sleep paralysis. It's incredibly common. Two days ago. Yep, and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. scary. Wow. It's not a good feeling, but it's 
not dangerous in any way. Um, just know that if you do experience sleep paralysis, it's not actual paralysis. Those hormones will wear off and you'll be able to move again. Um, but with that stage of sleep, even just knowing that, that's sometimes when people will take a nap in the afternoon and then they wake up feeling kind of groggy and you're like, oh, I'm more tired than I was before I took my nap. You're not, you actually did a great job of reducing some of your sleep deprivation. But if you went into that stage of sleep that paralyzes you and then you wake up out of it, you're gonna feel a little slower. So all of those just little tidbits of things to know about the different stages and what they do are great information to have because you know even with the situation with napping, you know it's something that's great to know that you're not actually more tired than you were. You just went into a specific stage of sleep that did something that you didn't know about. That makes, yeah, you're right. That makes sense. And like I said, that happened to me the other day. And I happened to fall asleep on the couch. I, I, well, I guess I took a nap. Yep. Couch, and maybe I was out for 90 minutes. Yep. I remember waking up and I'm like, I could see what was going on, but I could not move. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely not a good feeling. It's not. <laughs> a lot of times I've heard patients associate it with the feeling of um, terror because somebody else might be there to harm them and they can't do anything about it. So it's not fun, but it is very important. Um, years ago, we had a man come into one of our sleep labs and he had, uh, it, the sleep disorder is called REM behavior disorder. And that is the lack of that hormone paralyzation. So he was able to act out his dreams. And in one of his dreams, he was trying to defend his wife from like a bear attack. And he was wrestling with the bear and tried to snap his neck. And he actually grabbed his wife in the bed and gave her a spinal cord injury. Yes. So it's a very important defense mechanism that our bodies give us every night. Uh, and again, it's not fun when we experience that sleep paralysis, but it's for our own good. Interesting. So uh, just sticking with the, you know, for now, the, the I guess the four stages that, mm -hmm. that we discussed, do we typically go through each stage in order or are we able to jump to different stages? Uh, how does it work when we go through each stage? Like, um, yep you know, starting from there. Question. So what we have in sleep medicine, it is called a hypnogram. And this is, if you have a Fitbit or an Apple watch, that's that little graph that shows you the different stages that you go throughout the night. And we don't necessarily transition the way we're supposed to. I mean, if you have to go to the bathroom or if you have an apnea or if you wake up because the baby's crying, a lot of these things can interrupt the natural flow of the different stages, what we call our sleep architecture. Uh, so every night is not going to look the same, but we'd love for it to look kind of um, similar, meaning that we're having good enough habits that we're kind of having great sleep each night. So that being said, probably not the case for most of us, especially in the middle of this pandemic, our sleep has been very negatively impacted with a lot of stress and worry, and that's completely understandable. Uh, but we do kind of ebb and flow into different stages at different times throughout the night. Uh, and our bodies have these really cool ways of auto-regulating that. So there's no need for you to worry if you're getting enough of a certain stage of sleep, or if you got too much, uh, you know, one night, that's, that's not a thing. Don't worry about it. Mm, okay. That's, that's good to know. Um, because, you know, you hear about like sleep debt and like, can you actually catch up to. Yes. But so that's different. That's sleep quantity versus quality. So the quality of our sleep is something that we talk about the different stages and what they do, but the sleep quantity, the time of sleep that we're getting, that is very important. And most of us are sleep deprived. We're not getting the quantity or quality that we need. Uh, so it's true, you know, the average person needs about eight hours of sleep every night. 
and the average American gets 6.5 hours of sleep every night. And so if you are one of those people who says, oh, I can get by on less. Yes, I'm sure you can get by because we adapt, uh, but you're probably also tired. I mean, I think that's such an obvious correlation. Most people are tired all the time and most people don't get enough sleep. So if you are fatigued, definitely start with taking the baby step of just trying to get eight hours of sleep each night. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, man. It's, and it's tough um, sometimes with the hustle and bustle, everything that's going on. Um, you know, and it's not always like being busy. Sometimes we, we make ourselves busy, you know, or, you know, we get distracted. There's so many distractions. Yes, or you're allowed to attempt to enjoy yourselves. I mean, that's another hard part is that for parents, you know, or kids or business owners, or, there is a constant pull from us throughout the day. People are pulling from us. And it's nice to be able at the end of the day to sit down with your Netflix, with your beer, with your White Claw and just relax. And that is completely okay. I know, you know, obviously as a sleep expert, people might hear this and be surprised, but for myself, there are nights where I love to drink more wine than I should and stay up until one and, and you know, watch those reruns of How I Met Your Mother. That's totally fine. Uh, but it's important to know that if there are goals that you're attempting to reach, especially fitness related goals, then we should try to consistently pay more attention to our sleep. Yeah, that's a big discussion that I, I really started to have, you know, uh, in terms of fitness with my clients when they come in for their assessment. Um, and even, you know, throughout the time of our training, um, even in between assessments, just how's your sleep? You know, what's your, what your, your recovery looking like? Because that is so important um, and so under, I think, like, as we said, spoken about. Um, and even the link to, um, you know, from the research that I've done on it and things I've read, the link to sleep and, and appetite with like ghrelin and leptin if you're not getting enough sleep. Um, you know, do you, I, like, from what I read, it, you know, your ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone can kind of get increased and the leptin, this, which is the satiation hormone can be suppressed if you're not sleeping enough. Um, right. right? Yeah, both of those hormones are regulated during our sleep. So when you think about fitness-related goals, most of us, 89% of Americans actually make fitness-related New Year's resolutions. So here we are in month two, and uh, weight loss is always a big one. So with these two hormones, when you think about if you are not getting enough sleep, therefore not having the hormones that either make you feel full when you have eaten or uh, are built up with a hunger hormone, you're already waking up with your, you know, on the wrong side of the bed, really, you're, you're already kind of setting yourself up for failure. So sufficient sleep, even just to regulate those two hormones is important, as well as your ability to effectively burn calories. So without that sufficient sleep, you know, if you have a workout that goes, you know, pretty, pretty good, just think if you had been more rested, how more efficiently you could burn calories and how much quicker that's going to help you get to your goal. As well as, you know, when we say fitness and goals and we talk about recovery, that is something that is a lot of times associated with wakefulness because of products and such. So after you work out and you, you know, have that time and you drink your, your recovery or you, you think about that time of, of rest, but it's actually happening at night while we're sleeping adding those things, those nutrients to your system, they're great at the time of wakefulness, but you're really just setting yourself up for more success for nighttime recovery. And this is so important when we think about um, human growth hormone that's secreted in stage two or stage two or three sleep. Most of this HGH is what is literally going to help 
you not only repair your muscles, but build stronger muscles. Um, and also our uh, central nervous system, our super chiasmatic nuclei, all of these neurological things uh, that help us do things like um, when we have that rebuilt at night to restore our energy, things like um, muscle contractions and uh, reaction time, all these things are being rebuilt during our sleep. So your workout the next day is going to be based on, on how well that goes. Uh, so it's really definitely something that's very beneficial to pay attention to, to reach goals. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's it's incredible to think about that. And uh, you mentioned the, the human growth hormone, um, you know, being released during stage two or three, you know, of that sleep. And if we're, if we're not getting enough sleep, obviously, so not having as much release of that hormone or other hormones that are regulated our hormone regulation homeostasis happens during sleep our bodies reset so let's say you produce too much testosterone or not enough one day sufficient sleep is how that regulates you have to get good sleep one night in order for your body to rebalance that out and with uh, testosterone and cortisol um, those are both known to help stimulate muscle growth as well so you want those regulated and secreted in the right amounts at the right times to have that workout be as efficient as possible. Yeah, and speaking of, um, of, of cortisol, obviously we know, um, well, again, from what I've read, you know, not getting enough sleep, not recovering well enough, that can increase that, that release of that stress hormone, which Absolutely. You know, can link to weight gain, it can make it harder on your health and in your fitness journey. Yes. Um, you know, if you wanted to touch on that a little bit more, because that's, that's something that is, is very, very common. Um, people walking around, in a, in a sympathetic, like active state all the time anyway. So I think yeah. it's kind of worse. Yeah, and it's confusing because we do need some cortisol. Like we do require that in our bodies and we do have a natural secretion of that at about 5 a.m. But with fragmented sleep, it can naturally secrete more often, starting to have more of a buildup than we need. Um, and then again, you're walking around with this buildup of the stress uh, that causes uh, issues with appetite control and um, even mood and judgment and perception, those types of things can be negatively impacted, which is going to impact your time in the gym. So if you're going into the gym already in a bad mood, or if you think that guy gave you the stink eye, you know, all of these things can really ruin your day, can ruin your workout, ruin your recovery. So again, sufficient sleep is really something that needs to be so thoroughly integrated into our, our wellness journeys. So if question for you, like here, if, if we're not getting enough sleep, right, typically if a person is sleep deprived, or, or sleep deprived individuals spending more time in one stage of sleep than, 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 the, than the rest, like pretty much um, one of the four. It's, are they finding that people who are not getting enough sleep are spending more time in this zone versus that zone? Um, you know, how, how does, what does that look like? Yeah, so it kind of depends on why they're sleep deprived. Now, if a person is uh, somebody who is statistically follows pretty bad habits, let's say, you know, staying up too late, caffeine, alcohol, blue light, doing all the things you know you're not supposed to do, that's going to create what we call fragmented sleep. And fragmented sleep is, you know, the constant awakenings, uh, the looking at the clock, the waking up, not feeling refreshed. This can be habit-based. Uh, and so if that is the case, this, the cycles that they go in uh, throughout the night, in and out, they're not going to be at the right times. They're not going to be in the right amounts. Now, if we're looking at something else like an untreated sleep disorder, which is actually incredibly common, then there are going to be a lot of different stages of sleep that bodies will then kind of naturally 
attempt to avoid certain stages of sleep because it may worsen the sleep disorder. So one of the main things I do like to talk about when I talk about sleep and, and wellness is sleep apnea. Uh, and that's because it's actually so incredibly prevalent. People have no idea how common sleep apnea is. So if you've heard of sleep apnea, which most of us have at this point, it's when you stop breathing at night. And that's because the tissues in your airway kind of collapse and close off. And then when you have an apnea, it's anywhere from 10 seconds to two minutes of you fighting for breath. And then finally your brain sends a signal saying, oh, bleep, and then and the tissues move out of the way and you're able to breathe again. The problem is every time that happens, your heart starts to kind of beat over time. It's trying to circulate the already oxygenated blood in your body because you're not taking in new oxygen and saying, we got to use what we've got. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, it's causing stress on your heart, which will build plaque. It causes frequent awakenings to continue to get oxygen, even if you don't notice if you're waking up. Uh, and it causes stress on every single one of your cellular structures. So untreated sleep apnea is dangerous for so many different reasons. But when we talk about, you know, weight gain and, and appetite control and all of those things, every time you have to wake up to take that breath, you're interrupting that flow, those cycles and those stages. So it's not allowing those hormones to secrete at the right times or in the right amounts. You're not having a restful, uh, sufficient sleep in any way. Sleep apnea is the most disruptive thing. And even if you don't know, you have it. Sounds like me, like I could, because I've recently started to track my sleep with wearable technology. And um, I realized that I've had, you know, anywhere from like 10 to 15 interruptions at night, sometimes more. So, so again, it's more common than people think. There's the stigma attached to it. Like you have to be an old fat guy. That is not true at all. Absolutely anybody can have sleep apnea. And we're finding that the prevalence in the athletic departments is huge because of the muscular structure, uh, neck circumference, jaw structure, all of these things that come with being built that can lead to a more closed off airway. Uh, so some very, very fit people have very severe sleep apnea. That's interesting. What was that, that figure that you gave? Um, what percentage of people have it? So, well, actually it's, I'm glad that you put it that way because the percentage of people that have obstructive sleep apnea is about one in four or one in five. And I know in America, 25% of our population dies of heart-related disease. That is completely correlated. So unfortunately, the majority of people right now with obstructive sleep apnea are undiagnosed. People have no idea that they have it. They're just walking around thinking they're supposed to be tired all day, and they're not. So how does that... All right. So a two-part question, and I'm sure you'll get hit both gladly. Um, how do you get that checked out? Um, and number one, and number two, how do they, how do you fix it? So if you've heard of a sleep study, I'm sure most of us have, know somebody who's gone and had a sleep study. That's how we diagnose all sleep disorders. Uh, I think everybody should have a sleep study at least once in their lives. I mean, when you think about if something's wrong during the day, you go to the doctor. How many times do you check out what's wrong during the night? Just do it once. Make sure you're sleeping right. So you can just call your primary care physician and they'll find somebody who's in your network and get you set up with a sleep study. Uh, that being said, again, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And if you don't want to go to a medical facility, if you don't have to, I don't blame you. Right now, we're also developing a, a home sleep test program. So most sleep labs now have a home sleep test or HST availability, which means they'll just send you this little kit. It's a band that goes around your chest, an oximeter for your finger and a nasal cannula for your nose. Uh, and that is something that you can just do at home and send it back and they'll be able to check and see if you have obstructive sleep apnea. And if that's the case, then there are a lot of different treatments, but the only treatment that I recommend is CPAP. 
CPAP. I've CPAP. actually heard, I've heard commercials for that um, on the radio. Yes. <laughs> CPAP, it stands for continuous positive airway pressure. And it's just a little mask that goes on your nose and it's connected to a tube and there's a little box that sits on your nightstand and it uses room air. It's not oxygenated. It just uses room air to blow into your airway and hold it open. So those tissues, when they try to collapse, they hit air pressure, so they can't. So your airway just stays open all night. And if you've heard stories like, oh, I don't want to wear that Darth Vader mask, <laughs> get over it. <laughs> because I promise you, uh, it's a lot less sexy to hear you go <sighs> all night than to just wear something to prevent it. Gotcha. So so that, so they're using that device to diagnose it, you're saying, or that, that, that device, the CPAP actually... That's the treatment. So the diagnosis would be the home sleep test. That's how we find out if you have it. And then to treat it, I recommend CPAP. Again, there are other options. I just don't recommend any of them. What is, so what's happening? Like, what is a CPAP actually doing to, to make, is it, is it opening the... Yes. So it uses air. I, it goes through the mask. You know what? I have a mask here somewhere. You want to see one? I would love to see one. That would be great. Would be amazing because this is very, very uh, interesting stuff. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this thing actually looks like. All right, guys, CPAP 101. Do it. Let's do it. Look how happy this guy is. <laughs> she's, probably, she's probably happier because he's not snoring. Exactly. So. This is the mask. This is how big it is. It's tiny. It goes over your nose like this. Oh. Attached with this little headgear. This little tube goes to the machine. And the machine is about the size of a Kleenex box that sits on your nightstand. So this mask over your nose uses the room air to blow into your nasal passage, then it goes down to your air structure. And the majority of the tissues that are collapsing in your airway are somewhere in here. And the tissue collapsing is a very kind of, um, it's not necessarily a fatty tissue, but it's a pliable tissue. So when that air pressure is blown in there, it literally blows the tissues out of the way of your airway so that you can just breathe the way you're supposed to. So what happens when you're having apnea is when you breathe, then those tissues collapse and then you spend time trying to open that airway like is that what snoring is that's snoring it's the same vibrations from those tissues so if you have somebody who is constantly snoring loudly or if you ever hear somebody go <sighs> that's sleep apnea i've been told um in the past that i, I can snore from time to time but i want to ask you about this because i find that i typically snore more and again this is just when what's told to me mm -hmm. but the times that i told i snore i'm snoring is usually when i'm really really tired yes that is, that? yes absolutely so that is because we when we are really really tired we are sleep deprived and when we are sleep deprived our body wants to go into rem sleep that cellular restorative stage of sleep so the more we're in rem the more as we just learned our muscles are paralyzed so we don't have that extra help from our muscular system to help us breathe. So that means everything is just kind of working on its own. And that's when we get the real <laughs> kind of noise. So 
That is also an indicator though. I mean, if there's ever any noise, that's an indicator for sleep apnea. If you toss and turn all night, that's an indicator because we call that positional therapy. That's your body's way of trying to move those tissues out of the way for you. Um, again, that witnessed apnea or even complete silence. If you have a bed partner who's quiet too much, that's not good. They might just be laying there not breathing. Uh, so it is really important to focus on this because again, it disrupts all of the hormones, uh, the regulation, this actual total sleep time, our ability to be in the stages of, of sleep that are going to help us recover. Untreated sleep apnea is th the worst enemy of any attempted fitness. Wow. That's, that's insane to think about. Now I finally understand the snoring dynamic, you know, linked to, you know, when I'm getting really tired. Um, so as far as the treatment, how long does that treatment typically take on average? Well, it depends on how quickly your lab can turn around your results. So once you get your little home sleep test, you send it back, they'll diagnose it, and then have you come and get your machine. I mean, it shouldn't take long. Uh, and then once you get it, you set it up and start using it night one. And it's unbelievable how big of a game changer this is. For any of you listening who know somebody who got a CPAP, ask them and they will say, it changed my life. It's so crazy how we get used to being tired, especially with sleep apnea. You just, you're tired all the time because of that lack of quantity and quality sleep. And you just really do adapt and end up walking around in an absolute fog. I've had patients who I put them on CPAP in the middle of the night and in the morning, literally woken up in tears saying, I didn't know I could feel this good. It's an absolute game changer to get on CPAP. It changes your complete perspective. It's, I've heard people say it's like getting glasses, it's like being blind and then getting something to help you see. It's just a complete night and day. And, and how long does it take for, for the treatment to work? I should say like once it can, it's overnight, literally overnight, you might be able to feel a major difference the next day. For some people, it might take a few weeks to kind of get used to and really see a difference. Um, I've had a lot of people also say, you know, they come back for their six week checkup and say, you know, oh, I don't really feel any different, but I'll keep wearing it. And then they'll come back in three months and say, I just realized I stopped taking naps and come back in six months and say, I feel safe driving again. You know, it can take some time to really build up to something, but I've also, you know, had people after a couple hours cry. So it's, but it's pretty much, it's a long-term, is it a lifelong thing? Is it, it is, it's a lifelong thing. If you have sleep apnea, um, so there, again, with that stigma that's associated with obesity, if you are obese, yes, you are more likely to have sleep apnea. And that's just because uh, if there's fatty tissue externally, usually internally, that fatty tissue can uh, kind of build up as well. Um, but it could be the other way around. You could start having terrible sleep and that will cause you to gain weight because of that leptin and ghrelin. Uh, so it is kind of a vicious cycle, but if you are struggling with weight, I would definitely look and see if there is sleep apnea because once you start treating it, uh, I've had patients get on CPAP and come back a few weeks later and say, I lost 15 pounds and I never worked out once. That is insane. Like that's, that's wild. So pretty much now, so we talked about snoring, how it typically comes from sleep apnea. Is that the only cause? Is there, are there any other external links to it? Maybe exercise. I've, I've heard people say when they started working out, they, they, they either stopped snoring or started. Um, so there can be a lot of little influencers like that, including alcohol consumption. Alcohol relaxes our tissues uh, and kind of makes us snore louder. Uh, that being said, there is also simple snoring. I don't want to say if you snore, you have sleep apnea. 
if you have sleep apnea, you snore, but if you snore, you probably have sleep apnea, but you might just have simple snoring. So simple snoring a lot of times can come more from our nasal passages, which is why nasal external dilators or breathe right strips, not to brand, but that's the most common one. By opening that passage a bit can prevent that simple snoring coming from that passage. Uh, but if it is kind of coming from the thicker stuff down here, it's more likely that there is sleep apnea. Um, so there are a lot of little kind of tips, you know, the tricks and the products and the things that you can do to help reduce snoring. There are even apps where you can do exercises uh, to uh, kind of firm up some of those tissues to lessen your snoring. Um, and then, you know, again, as long as we're kind of paying it more attention to what we're putting in our bodies and preventing those kind of situations where we're going to get so overly fatigued that we're having a night of, of excessive snoring, that's helpful as well. Right. So I'm, I'm definitely going to look into to a CPAP for myself because uh, how do I pronounce that? CPAP. CPAP, Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. Although we have to change the name for that soon too, because back in the day when we had CPAP, we had to pick one pressure to hold your airway open. There was just a button and we'd go up, 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 up until the highest number that held open your airway, that was the pressure that you got all night. Even if you didn't need all that pressure, that's what you got. So that's why CPAP is actually considered a prescription because if you put on somebody else's CPAP and it's at a high pressure, you could fill your gut with air. You could expand your lungs unintentionally. You don't wanna wear somebody else's CPAP. It could be dangerous. Um, but now there's so much more advanced technologically. Uh, every CPAP is what we call an auto. So it automatically goes breath by breath and the algorithms see what pressure you need for each individual breath all night and just gives you what you need. They're unbelievable. Uh, I'm gonna I'm definitely look into that. <laughs> so we have people wear CPAP for a lot of different reasons. Some people have allergies that are unmanageable and then they'll end up on CPAP because there's a heated humidity chamber, just like a little filtered water chamber that helps to break up congestion and, and such. And even, you know, sometimes for simple snoring and you don't have to have severe sleep apnea for it to make a really big difference. You could just have a little bit and it still could be a game changer. Interesting. Wow. Well, that's good to know. So that's one of the reasons why I don't get the, you know, the best quality sleep uh, possible. Yep. If you're, if you're healthy, if you're fit, if you, you know, if you're doing the things you're supposed to do, if you're trying to get good sleep and you're still tired all the time, you probably have a sleep disorder, not even necessarily just sleep apnea. There are over 115 classified sleep disorders. Wow. 115. That's a lot. There are a lot and people have no idea about them. Thankfully for me, like if I get seven, eight hours or seven, eight hours of sleep, like I'm good. I feel rested. I feel great. Productive. I'm sharp. Um, so thankfully, like in that regard, like I can actually, you know, really fully recover when I sleep, but it's, it's getting to sleep. So obviously we talked about the, the sleep apnea being a disruptor to restful sleep, but, um, I know there are some things that, that we can do leading up to bedtime that can either improve or, or really make our sleep not so great of, of quality. Um, we talk about the light and whether it's the blue light and, and, and things like that. Um, I, so I kind of want to cover some of that stuff with you and kind of really get your um, your expertise in that area because uh, I could definitely use some guidance there as well. Yeah, so those are what we call negative influencers. When we talk about how good your sleep is going to be at night, it starts with what you start doing when you wake up in the morning. So when we wake up, 
Um, if it's possible, uh, depending on where you live, I'm in Minnesota and it's negative 11 right now. But when we wake up, the first thing we should do, if you can get outside and see some sun, get outside and see some sun, because that is going to start kicking off all of this, this beautiful dance, beautiful cycle, including vitamin D and melatonin production. So melatonin is something that we do actually produce in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night. It's not just produced at night to put us to sleep. Melatonin, we produce it to regulate our, circa our circadian rhythms. That's when we wanna sleep. So get outside in the morning. First thing that we can do to ensure that we're gonna have good sleep at night is to get a little bit of um, natural, natural sunlight. Next, we wanna think about caffeine and alcohol consumption because both of these can very severely disrupt our sleep. So when we drink caffeine, it blocks the release of a home, <clears throat> excuse me, a hormone, and it's called adenosine. Uh, adenosine is a, it builds up and makes you feel it's that heavy eyelid, that kind of groggy feeling that we get. That's the buildup of adenosine. And when we drink caffeinated beverages, it actually blocks the release of that. So we're just not able to feel that fatigue anymore. So if you do stop around two, if you're shooting for a 10 p.m. bedtime, we have to give our chance our body's a chance to get that um, kind of caffeine consumption out through our liver in order to release that adenosine at bedtime. Uh, and the same with alcohol, it really fragments our sleep. It doesn't allow us to go into those deeper restful stages. So if you have, you know, your whiskey with your steak or your wine with your pasta, great, have that nightcap, enjoy your supper. But if we're drinking excessive alcohol, um, kind of as a way to get to sleep, it will help you fall asleep. It is a depressant. It's going to make you feel fatigued, but it will fragment your sleep and prevent you from getting into the stage that makes you feel rested. And it prevents you from getting REM, that cellular restorative stage of sleep. So if you don't drink alcohol, that's great because that's just one more thing that's not really disrupting your sleep. Uh, another big one, again, is that blue light, our cell phones, the laptops, the televisions, the Kindles, everything that we plug in it has a different frequency of light that disrupts our neurological system and stops us from being able to achieve sleep. It keeps shaking in our brains all night, keeping us waking up over and over for no reason. So this is one of the big ones. If you do find yourself having frequent awakenings throughout the night, it's probably because the last thing you did was play a little candy crush to relax and then go to bed. Right. No more cell phones before bed. So what is the, so it's, it sounded like as far as like the caffeine was about eight, eight hours before bedtime, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so what about the, like you were talking about scrolling on our phones. I think that's very common for a lot of people, you know, whether they're scrolling Instagram or reading email. Or Clubhouse. Clubhouse these days, right? That's how we connect it. Um, is there a specific amount of time that we should leave between scrolling on our phones or watching TV and bedtime? Yes. So the National Sleep Foundation recommends two hours. I say one hour because I feel like that's a little unrealistic for most people in a pandemic. An hour is so impactful, though. This is something I've heard from my clients and my patients for years. I haven't slept through the night in five years. Sarah took my phone away two nights later, sleeping like a baby. It is so impactful and we don't realize it because we're so addicted to our phones. So just I always say for a week, try for one week, one hour before bedtime set your alarm and then put your phone over an arm's length away on your nightstand so you can't grab it in the middle of the night to see what time it is because that's what we do when you wake up in the middle of the night what's the first thing you do you look and see what time it is and then you just start doing what i call panic math oh it's three o'clock if i fall asleep right now four o'clock five o'clock six o'clock and i have three more hours to sleep <laughs> and you're doing math that's the, I did that last night so yeah. if your alarm is not going off 
you don't need to know what time it is. That's true. That is true. So, so if I'm, if I go to pick up my phone, right? Like if, if, if I'm, if someone is in the bed and they, they do check just to check the time, is that quick look at the phone and putting it down? Is that enough time to actually really activate? Absolutely. Wow. So get one of those. I have an alarm clock from Target, $4.99. It's got the red digital, you know, the old school mm -hmm. ones. Get one of those, put it on your dresser across the room. I don't even have mine turned during the day or during the night. I turn it back when I wake up in the morning. So when I wake up and I try and see what time, I don't need to know what time it is. I don't need to be doing that panic math. That's true. Wow. Yeah, I do have a digital alarm clock on my dresser, um, but I, I usually cover it at night, not for the reason of not doing panic math. The light is actually pretty bright and it just broadcasts throughout the room and I find like that's distracting for me. Well, put your cell phone next to it so you can't grab it throughout the night. That's a big, that's a big bad one. Okay, so I'm gonna- Because every, that little second, bloop, that's enough. I'm gonna try the one hour uh, before bed, I think. Wow. Just try it for a few days. And once you see how much more consolidated your sleep is, you'll keep going. Wow. That is, that's amazing. So I'm definitely gonna, gonna work that in and give that a shot because um, I've been just trying to improve my sleep personally for me. And I'm, and I'm sure many of the people who are watching this, this episode have been going through the same thing or have been curious about how they can improve it. So I, I, I cause I knew, you know, I definitely have heard about like you know, the light before bed. And that's, that can come from television as well, correct? Correct. Although the proximity to your retina does make a difference. The closer oh. it is, the worse it is. So I say, if you had to pick between your TV and your cell phone, I, I'd say your TV, but even then you don't need your TV. I've had patients say, I can't sleep without my TV. And I said, have you ever tried? <laughs> Try so, it. <laughs> what about sleeping with, because since we're on, a, on the topic of like disruptors, right? What about sleeping with, music on or the sound of nature or rain. I like, I, I sleep to the sound of rain. Sometimes I have All of that. It's great. Yes. That's totally fine. Unless it's the last thing you do before you go to bed is to pick that app and do, 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 do. set it earlier. I think I can let set, it play. I can set it on the timer, I believe. So. Yep. And music's fine to listen to while sleeping. Music's fine. All kind of music, any kind of music. Yep. Okay. Cause I, you know, I wasn't sure if like, anything audio was, 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 was considered a disruptor? No, a lot of times it actually is about habits and soothing. In fact, I, when I worked at a, a neurological sleep lab, it was interesting because there were a lot of neurological disorders as opposed to respiratory disorders. So um, there was a man who listened to heavy metal before bed and I, he was like, can I listen to this? And I said, Sure. And after a few minutes, I just was so curious. I said, excuse me, I have to ask why heavy metal like that. I feel like that wouldn't be very relaxing for me. And he said, it's the only thing that makes me turn my brain off. Wow. Hey, works for you. That would turn every, my entire brain would be going crazy listening. Exactly. To so I can't imagine how he was during the day. If that was the relaxing part at night. That was his, uh, his soothing. Yep. His soothing method, uh, method. That is funny. Um, so let me ask you this. When we, in terms of, we talk disruptors, are there any other dis disruptors that, 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 have, that have been found that can disrupt sleep? Yes, but there are a lot of things that, I mean, those are the, for the general population, for the vast majority of us, those are the things that are kind of causing um, 
the most issues as well as children. Obviously, if you have young children uh, and they're not sleeping well, if you have a newborn, of course, you got to wake up and feed them. Um, children are, we joke, the most common sleep disorder. They're, you're only going to sleep as, as well as the worst sleeper in your house. Um, and there's only so much we can do about that. That's a, that's a different hour right there with pediatric sleep. Um, also, as we age, Physiologically, our bodies change and make it more difficult for us to achieve more quality sleep. So that's just kind of a stigma or a, a myth that as you get older, you need less sleep. And that's not true. You need about the same. You just can't get it as well. Uh, also, our circadian rhythms shift so that we want to go to sleep earlier and then wake up earlier, which is why there's the early bird special. You know, get your dinner at four and get in bed by eight. That's just great. We'll all be there someday, hopefully. Um, but for most of us, changing those few things with um, caffeine, um, understanding blue light influence and, and the timing of our workouts. You know, obviously we don't want to be pumping up and getting a bunch of endorphins right before bedtime. Although if that is the only time you can work out, that's preferable. So again, it's going to make you stay up a little bit later, but the quality of your sleep, the consolidation of your sleep, how your sleep is going to attempt to repair your muscles, it's going to make that sleep that much better. That's, that's good stuff. Um, is, I know you said, uh, the, obviously, the pediatrics another hour. I just do have a question. For, for women, is there a correlation of sleep cycle and menstruation and sleep cycle and pregnancy? Are there any changes that take place due to hormonal imbalances or, or hormonal changes, I should say? Yep, and not even just through the hormonal. Uh, there are so many different physiological indicators for poor sleep. Uh, so reproduction itself is something that will change a woman forever. Once we reproduce, when we have a child, there's even a hormone that is secreted by our brains that pretty much ensures we will never sleep well again because this hormone forces us to wake up to check on the breathing of our offspring. So this is great when, yeah, a baby is a newborn, you know, we keep waking up, is it breathing, is it breathing? And that actually starts to dissipate as we age, but it never really disappears. So even when your kids go off to college, you may wake up in the middle of the night, unbeknownst to you, because you have a child. So, yeah. Hormone that is triggering, that's, that's see, I don't, I don't have any children, mm -hmm. I'm not there yet, but you hear the stories of, you know, from, from, from mothers. Yep. Of, of certain mommy instincts. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 We have a lot of great instincts and defense mechanisms to ensure the survival of our offspring, which is great. You know, that's what mommies are for. Uh, but unfortunately, we definitely suffer the brunt of it. Um, but even with as we age too, menopause is a huge issue for women in their sleep. Uh, something like 87% of women report worse sleep as they enter perimenopause. And it's something that we just don't know anything about yet. I always joke, we just figured out sleep apnea. Next, hopefully it's menopause because so many people are impacted by it. And it's, again, it's the unknown factor. We just haven't had enough time to research things to figure it out. On the website for the National Sleep Foundation, it's so unhelpful. It says things like, get a fan and try not to worry. <laughs> hadn't thought of that. Uh, so hopefully help is on the way. <laughs> that is funny. Um, and I know we kind of, did go over some of the disruptors and we, we did touch on um, the, the four stages earlier. Um, you know, went through all four. I can't even recall all four, all four of them. But it's I numbered. It's fine. It's one, two, three in rem. <laughs> but I do love that you say, you know, the disruptors, that is something that we tend to focus on, but there are things that we can do that are pot that will be positively impactful as well. Uh, so one thing I always like to talk about is uh, the process of bedtime and having a bedtime routine. 
So when we think about bedtime routines, we think about kids and, you know, oh, they've got their routine. And do, do, do. we should have that too. Adults, grownups, we should have a bedtime routine. Uh, and it should start with something that is an hour before bedtime, which is turning off our cell phones. That's going to be the start of your bedtime routine. What you do after that, if you want to take a nice bubble bath, do a new skincare routine, read a book with pages, not on a Kindle or an iPad, something like that. Incorporate these nice things into your bedtime routine and then end it with right before you go to bed, have some paper and a pen right by your bed and write down a few things that you uh, are either grateful for, maybe some things that you had worried about throughout the day, things that are on your mind um, and try and just to remove them from your body so that those little pieces of stress don't manifest at night and wake you up. Good stuff and it's great it's great to have a plan so we can kind of be proactive you know you know with these things um i did want to ask you we, we talked about light sleep versus deep deep sleep um when it comes to someone who's sleeping say six hours six and a half hours versus someone who's sleeping eight hours is it possible that six and a half hours could be of better quality than that eight hours in the sense where um, you know, that you could be get more benefit of that, that six and a half hours than the person that's getting that eight hours, I guess, if you're having less disruptors, I'm assuming. Right. Yes. Quality quantity. Exactly. So if that eight hours in bed, it's just eight hours in bed with frequent awakenings, tossing and turning bathroom for all of that. Of course, I would take the nice consolidated six and a half. The real key is what we ask in, in sleep medicine is, are you rested? So when you wake up, are you feeling rested or would you like to go back to sleep now? That's the number one indicator for sleep deprivation. If you are waking up wanting to go back to sleep, you're not ready to start your day. That's not how you're supposed to start. You're supposed to be refreshed, ready to go. So something right there is something you should ask yourself each morning. And if the answer is no, I'm not ready to start my day, then you either didn't get enough sleep or the right kind of sleep. So if that is the case, if that alarm clock goes off and you're like, nope, then I want you to go to bed an hour earlier the next night. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think a lot of people are going to bed, you know, they're hitting the snooze button. And oh, of course. And the snooze button is awful. Here's why. <laughs> that REM sleep, that real important stage that keeps us alive, the most REM sleep we get is from about 5 to 8 a.m. Most of that is REM. And that is nice, high quality sleep. And every time you hit the snooze button, you pull yourself up out of that REM and then your body spends the next nine minutes trying to get back into it. And then you pull yourself out and then you're just chopping up what could look like this now looks like this. And if you have it look like this, that consolidated REM, it's going to make you feel so much more rested and restored. And you're going to notice after a few days, I know it's not fun to say, I can't hit the snooze button. You will see, stop hitting the snooze button. Just set your alarm for the time that you have to get up and then get up. And you'll notice within days, mainly you'll notice in your afternoon slump time, that afternoon slump's gonna get shorter and shorter. And it's, and it's funny that you should say that because I've heard people say, you know, I need to be up by, by six, but if, I, if the alarm starts going off at 5.30 and, and I can break it up, it's easier for me to get up, but that's yep. actually working against them. It's working against them. That's interesting. That is very, very interesting stuff. That's good to know. Um, I try not to hit the snooze button. It happens from, from time to time. I try not to. I didn't realize it takes nine minutes to get back into that rim though. Well, that's how, that's the uh, usual regulation of when the next snooze goes off. It gives you about nine minutes. 
sometimes you can fall right back asleep. And sometimes it takes eight minutes. And then as soon as you fall asleep, that alarm goes off again. So just leave it nice and consolidated. Don't chop it up if you don't have to. Uh, it will make a big difference. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. So in REM sleep now, is this the portion of sleep where your body's going into sleep paralysis? So to protect you, so that that means you can't move, so you can't act out your dreams, correct? Right. Okay, gotcha. So I've noticed that like, if I, I'll, I'll will typically realize or like I'll wake up realizing that I dreamt or nights that I felt more tired when I went to bed. Yep, again. So when we're sleep deprived, our bodies will try to spend more time in REM. So that's, that's why I'm that's Yeah. So if you're really tired and you're like, whoa, I had a bunch of dreams, you were probably in REM longer. Uh, okay. And that's yeah. not a bad thing. Remembering your dreams or not remembering them isn't something that's harmful either way. Um, if you remember them, it just means that you woke up from that REM period because we don't have dream recall unless you wake up out of that, that one. Interesting. So, all right. Um, I, I do have a few more questions before we wrap this up. We've been yeah. having quite the conversation here. Um, sleep posture. Yeah. Sleep posture. I know um, I've heard you speak on the importance of this, uh, but if you could just touch on that, that would be, that would be great. Yeah, so this is something that's very individualized and there's a lot out there where people, this is a sad, the sad aspect of sleep medicine is that there are a lot of people who've tried to financially benefit from other people's fatigues. So they're all, you know, you see so many different beds and weighted blankets and sad lamps and you got to sleep on your back or you sleep on your, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there for people to benefit from. Uh, so I always say, do your, do your research, do your due diligence. Um, if you like to sleep on your back and that's more comfortable for you, then sleep on your back. Don't feel like you have to do positional therapy. Now, if you do sleep on your back and you have obstructive sleep apnea, it usually makes it worse uh, because just gravitationally, it will pull the tissues down over your airway more. But that's why most people with sleep apnea don't sleep on their back. I've had people get on CPAP and say, I lay straight on my back all night, every night. Now I've never slept on my back. It's because their body is trained to move. Um, but also, yeah, if you sleep on your left side, don't worry. I know there was some study that came out years ago that's saying, oh, it might crunch your heart. So your circulation will be worse. That's not true at all. Just sleep however is comfortable for you and your bed partner. Uh, and then also invest in your sleep environment. It's, I know a lot of these things can be very expensive. And again, there are so many different options. So it's kind of like, how do you know? Uh, but we should be changing our mattresses every five to six years because as we age physiologically, things change a lot. And something that might have been really comfortable for you five years ago could be causing you chronic pain these days. Uh, so take this pandemic time to, you know, save a bit up and, and really kind of invest in some things that are going to make your sleep environment really uh, comfortable, soothing, relaxing, and as stress-free as possible, because that's a big issue for us. These uncertain times, neurologically as humans, we don't do well with uncertainty. We're not meant to live through uncertainty like this. We're meant to uh, solve problems and, and get to a solution. So when we live like this, it causes absolute neurological chaos. So if you feel like you're going crazy right now and you can't sleep, you're, you are. <laughs> We're just not built to live like this. So get yourself some comfortable stuff to make it as easy as possible. That's, that's great advice. Um, yeah, definitely. And the environment is so important. And you're right. It, it makes a big difference. Um, and I, I, this, my next question for you here is pretty much pretty common for a lot of people. It's naps. Yeah. Think about naps, um, were they beneficial? 
we do that or if, if we find ourselves napping does that mean we need to focus more on our, our sleep at night what's the whole thing with that naps are amazing <laughs> we're very i agree we're very behind in america when it comes to our mindset about napping there are napping laws in japan so uh naps are are wonderful <clears throat> because we suffer from a natural circadian rhythm shift every day from one to three this goes back to caveman times this is innate in us this is when predators were at their most active because the sun was at its highest so it was in your best interest to get your butt in a cave and take a little rest so we still feel that today usually around one to three so if you do feel that slump close your eyes and rest every single thing you do after that is going to be better just allowing ourselves that chance to restore instead of suffering through and powering through it allows us to be um present but we're not present you know we're not productive we're not engaged we're just awake and that doesn't do anybody any good so the studies behind naps are so impressive uh improved cognitive ability abilities physical functioning um problem solving creativity all of these things are improved after a 20 to 30 minute nap and that's the right amount of time because that's enough time to go into that deep restful stage of sleep but not long enough to send us into REM which is when we get paralyzed and feel kind of groggy so 20 to 30 minute nap every day, it's gonna change your life. So 20, as little as 20 to 30 minutes can feel a lot better. I, I can attest to that. Um, so what about the, the little 15 and 10, 10 to 15 minute power nap? So those- It's all helpful. It's all helpful. It's even helpful if you do go into REM because if you go into REM on a nap, that means you didn't get enough sleep the night before. So you're reducing some of that sleep deprivation. Even if you wake up feeling kind of groggy, overall, you're benefiting your health. I gotcha. And I know earlier I did mention like sleep debt. Can you actually catch up? It's a controversial topic. So I'm of the mindset of the, the concept of sleep debt comes from if you are become behind. So it works like a credit card. If you're supposed to have eight hours one night and one night you get five hours, you're now three hours in sleep debt. So paying it back should happen because we should be trying to get around eight hours of sleep in a 24 hour period. Now, if you can take a nap that day, go to bed a little earlier, you know, sleep in the next day, all of these things are going to be helpful. Uh, you can't obviously get back those hours that you lost, but you can try to keep your sleep around eight hours in a 24 hour period to allow uh, a better chance of those necessary hormones to, to be secreted. Got you. Um, and uh, I did have a question that was requested that I, I did ask you, um, it was about sleeping with your mouth open and waking up with occasional dry mouth, um, feeling like a little bit of dehydration. Yeah. Is that a cause for concern in your sleep, whether you sleep with your mouth open or closed? It's not necessarily cause for concern, but it is sometimes a symptom of sleep apnea. So if we're not getting enough air, uh, our mouth will open so that it's trying to get as much as much oxygen as possible from wherever it can. Uh, that dry mouth is an indicator that the mouth was open for a while. So I would definitely look into getting a sleep sleep study. Man, wow, this has been this has been amazing. So before we wrap this up, what I guess final just tips if a person was taking notes, obviously this entire time to get started with improving their sleep. What what final tips would you give? Perfect, I love it. So if you are listening and you have had a, a little mindset change said you know what maybe i should try this sleep thing or take it a little more seriously we're going to start with your bedtime routine tonight if you are hoping to be in bed at 10 o'clock at 8 55 i want you to set your alarm throw your do not disturb on and then put your cell phone in your bedroom on your nightstand and then start a new bedtime routine that does not involve your phone uh, again you can 
find relaxing, fun things. You can read some books. Um, I'd prefer no TV, but you know there are a lot of things that you could probably accomplish in this hour that are going to help remove some of the worry from your next day. You know, load that dishwasher, do that one thing that you know you need to get off of your plate, and have a nice little um, time figuring out what your new bedtime routine will be. Uh, and then right before bed. Get that pen and paper, write out some, some worries, write out some goals, some things you're grateful for. Uh, just spend five minutes on that and then let your head hit that pillow. You're going to feel a little more relaxed than you did yesterday. That is amazing information. Um, I, every time I hear you speak, I'm like that emoji that's like the head is exploding, like, oh my gosh, like every time I hear you speak. So, well, you know, on Clubhouse or, or here today. I'm always learning so much from you. So first, just, just thank you so much for taking the time to, to join me here and, and to add value to, to myself and to, to all the listeners of this, this show. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, I do want to give you the opportunity to share how they can reach you, whether it's through your social media channels, emails, your email account, or anything that you, you're offering. Um, please feel free. I, I would love, how can they reach you? Yeah, so I well, what I offer now is uh, my company, Sleep Health Specialists. So we work with corporations to do sleep classes for employees. So if you've got any clients, anybody listening, uh, you've got a company wellness program, go ahead and reach out. Uh, again, it's Sleep Health Specialists. You can just Google me or Sarah Mo. I usually pop up. Sleep Health Specialists. Wow, that. So wait, just just backtrack a second. Sleep classes. Just what is that about? Uh, well, <laughs> employee wellness programs are really important right now. Uh, everybody's working from home. Uh, everybody's kind of suffering through this together. So most corporations offer employee wellness programs, things like uh, group yoga or nutrition or sleep classes. So uh, we're right now only doing webinars, obviously not going into companies anymore, but we do classes on sleep kind of like this for tired employees and get people more rested and happy and productive. That is amazing. And, and how can they find you on social media? Uh, Sarah Sleep ZZZ. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, and then also you can shoot me an email, sarah.mo at sleephs.com. And Mo is M-O-E? Yes. S-A-R-A-H dot M-O-E at sleephs. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, Sarah, this has been incredible. Thank you, thank you so, so much. I cannot having me. appreciate you. Like this has been great. I'm really excited to go back and listen to this again myself uh, because I always learn so much uh, whenever I have a conversation with you or hear you speak in a room on Clubhouse or just I'm on your Instagram account. So just thank you very much. I greatly appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me and good luck everyone. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Sarah. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I really, really appreciate you being here. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please do share it with your family members, your friends, your coworkers, or anyone who might find value in it. And if you would also be so kind as to leave a positive review wherever you do listen to your podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. And you can also reach me directly. There's a couple ways that you can do that. Uh, you can reach me via Instagram. My Instagram handle is Mr. Underscore JFit. That is spelled M-R underscore J-A-Y-F-I-T. And you can also text me via my text messaging community called the Pocket Fit Club. And that number is 516-217-8650. 516 217 
8650. Shoot me a text. I will text you back. That's any fitness questions, fitness tips you need. Let me know. I got you. But thank you so much for tuning in and I will talk to you soon.